Hello, this is episode 67 of the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Dan. And today, for the very first live YouTube episode of Blood and Rain, uh, this first week of Lent. Uh, for the have... very first live YouTube episode of Blood and Rain. Um, sorry about that. Uh, we have Father Michael Butler. Orthodox priest, competitive bodybuilder, men's coach, and recently the new one of the new co-hosts of the podcast as Iron Sharpens Iron. Yes. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you. And thanks for a nice introduction. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, you and I started rubbing shoulders. Uh, I think you and I were introduced by Will Spencer. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Renaissance of Men about, it's only a year, about say a year ago. About a year, yeah. When you guys were both doing... Uh, work with Ryan Mickler down in uh, mm -hmm. Cancun, and um, you know, Will Spencer said to me, "You got to meet this guy. You know, he reminds me of you. Um, <laughs> intense physical training, Orthodox faith. He's a priest. Uh, we call him the Swole Father because he was easily yes. the uh, the most jacked man there." And I said, "Yeah, I think this guy kind of sounds, uh, you know, right up my alley." Yeah, I was I was not the most jacked man there. There is a Navy SEAL former Navy SEAL in attendance, who was by far more jacked than me. And actually at the same conference, Jack Donovan was there, uh, who just sort of blows everybody away in that, in that regard. So, yeah, but I was, I was in good company. <laughs> I'd certainly say so. Yeah, I know Jack Donovan does quite well on the jiu-jitsu mats. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. and obviously Navy SEALs kind of, you know, speak for themselves with that reputation. But, um, but yeah, so I've been wanting to do this uh, for quite some time. So maybe if you wouldn't mind sort of, Beyond my, you know, short introduction of you telling the audience uh, who you are, how you got into becoming a content creator, um, why bodybuilding, why orthodox, oh, and so forth. All of that. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the whole story. Um, well, I'll, I'll try to keep it a little short because I can, I can talk about myself for a long time as most of us can. Uh, I am a convert to orthodoxy. I was raised Roman Catholic and I found orthodoxy my senior year in college. And uh, uh, it was an intense struggle for me to, to convert, but uh, it was one of the, the few instances early in my life when I decided to follow my heart rather than follow my head. And it was a decision I never regretted. Uh, so that was 38, 39 years ago, 39 years ago, I think it was that I, I became Orthodox at St. Seraphim Cathedral in Dallas. So if there are any people from Dallas talking, hey guys, you're always in my prayers. Um, I also met the woman who would become my wife about the same time as I was a catechumen. So I have been married for 38 years. Uh, I have two grown sons uh, who are still uh, observant Orthodox Christians, uh, and uh, they're, they're the joy of my life. Um, I took an undergraduate degree in archetypal psychology. Um, I took a master's degree in theology and uh, a PhD in church history and patristics at Fordham University. Um, so I had intended to be a university professor, uh, but the same year that I finished defending my dissertation, which was about 1992, uh, political correctness hit the university and nobody wanted white males who studied dead white males anymore. And the job market completely evaporated in two years time. And so, uh, sort of a backup plan. Um, I had hoped originally to teach at university and then become you know, a, a part-time priest, maybe campus ministry, have a little mission parish. It turned out life inverted that completely. So I ended up being ordained as a full-time priest, and I still do some academic work on the side 
Um, I've done some work with uh, with the Liberty Fund, with the um, uh, Foundation for Research and Economics in the Environment out of Montana. I did about a decade's worth of work with the Acton Institute in Grand Rapids. Uh, I've worked in natural law, environmentalism, interdisciplinary studies, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I've had my fingers in, so it's really been it's really been very fun. Uh, I've been a priest for 28 years now. I've had parishes in Michigan and uh, Ohio, and I'm very happy where I am now in a, in a Detroit suburb. So that's kind of the story of the faith. Uh, <laughs> the bodybuilding piece, uh, this is going to date me. I don't know how many. Do, do, do you remember, you, you read comic books when you were a boy? I forget how old you are, Arthur. <laughs> um, recently, 28. And, uh... 28. Okay, did you have comic? Did you read comic books when you were a kid? You know, I, I'm I'm not. I hate to admit this out loud on the stream, but not so much comic books as much as uh, as, mon as manga. Uh, Japanese. Okay, yeah, okay. Well, well, then, it, okay. This will definitely date me then. Uh, but in the old comic books, there was in the back advertisements, and maybe you've seen pictures of it. There was this old Charles Atlas ad, this little cartoon about some guy and a bully kicking sand in his face while he's on the beach and. You know, can't defend himself and decided he wanted to get big and strong and pay back the bully. Uh, kicked over a chair and risked a three-cent stamp for the Charles Atlas bodybuilding course. Well, I saw that when I was like eight years old. And I thought, that guy looks good. I would like to look like that sometime. Uh, and so it started kind of a lifelong interest in wanting to get into shape. It was not something I, I was able to do successfully for a long time. Uh, my dad died when I was eight years old. I was depressed when I was a child and a teen and significantly overweight. Um, and uh, I managed to take that a lot of that off when I was in college. But, you know, with a, by middle age, I very definitely had a dad bod, you know, throughout my 30s and my 40s and into my 50s. You know, I was the guy at the gym, you know, who would be on the cardio machine and never lose any weight or who would be pumping iron and never got any stronger or any bigger. And I didn't know what it was I was doing wrong till I was 53. And finally, I got mad at myself. And I told my wife, I said, I wanted to get into shape when I was 20, 30, 40, and 50. I want to regret something else when I'm 60 years old, but it's not going to be that. And she said, fine, do what you need to do. And I got, uh, I found one of those 12-week transformational programs online Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, and a uh, really nice Southern Baptist guy out of Houston uh, that we worked really well together with. And uh, he put my diet in order, which was the big piece for me. I, I thought I was eating correctly. I was not. So he got the diet straightened out and then a really good progressive exercise program. The fat started coming off, the muscles started going on, and I was able to begin to realize a change. And about halfway through what was that was ultimately a program nine years ago i started that when i was 53 and when i'd lost about 20 pounds i noticed this real change in in people's perception of me the women in my parish quit giving me so much shit and i started getting a whole lot more respect from the men and it wasn't the physical change because when i'm at, at my parish i wear cassock all the mm -hmm. time and you know floor length black dress you know you know down to the you know, long sleeves and all, you, you can't see anything. It, it covers everything. So it wasn't a physical change. It was all the mental change that I was accomplishing my goal, that I was you know, doing something that I had always wanted to do. My self-confidence and my self-esteem went up and it changed my life. And I finished with that 12-week program and I said, I wonder how far I can push this because I work really well with a deadline. 
So I found a local contest prep coach and I went and I saw him and I said, I, I've always wanted to do this. Um, what can we do? And he, and he told me, he says, I can't guarantee you'll win, but I can make sure you look like you belong on stage. And I said, it's fine. It's good enough for me. So we picked the last contest of the year. And nine years ago, I got on stage as a men's physique competitor. You know, that's the board shorts. You know, I figured I could stand up in front of total strangers wearing board shorts that you know, went from my waist to my knees. And I was not last. Fifth out of six, but I was not last. And the competitive bug bit me. Lord help me. So I've competed for the last nine years. I've competed 11 times, qualified to nationals. And uh, this is probably the last year I'm going to compete. But the arthritis is setting in. My joints hurt all the time. Uh, but I'm going to compete again in June at a state level show and go on nationals again and see if I can win my pro card come September. So that's that piece of it. And it's just, it's just one of those hobbies. It's a beautiful thing that I enjoy doing. I love the gym culture. I love my gym bros. Uh, I get on famously with a lot of people. And the fact that I take care of myself uh, and work hard at the gym has really been you know, a, a draw, especially to all of the young men that are finding orthodoxy nowadays. You know, the fact that they find me. And so not only am I an Orthodox priest and I have an open and inviting and welcoming congregation, but wow, Father Michael pumps iron. That's so cool. I pump iron too. And, you know, we have great conversations about, you know, our workouts and our diets and all that kind of stuff. And it helps to cement relationships with these young guys and helps to bring them to Christ and his church. So it's been a boon that way as well. And then with regards to the men's coaching thing, I just realized as I got older, um, I, when I started losing weight that nine years ago, when I began competing, I lost 40 pounds. I lost eight inches off my waist. I went from 23 to 8% body fat. It changed my life. And it was something that I had wanted to do since I was a child and never did. And I realized that there were a lot of other things in my life that I had not actually done because I was shy, because I was scared because I didn't know who to talk to or didn't know how to do it. Um, and I realized that I live with a lot of regret. And I said, you know, if I can help some other guy start a little earlier in life, get his life together, get over, you know, the, the, the self-medicating and negative behaviors, get himself on a better path, get him doing things that are meaningful to him where he's adding value to the world and adding value to other people and, you know, moving into more mature masculinity and out of that sort of delayed adolescence that a lot of guys in their 20s and 30s are still kind of stuck in. If I can help those guys grow up and have a better life, I've done something substantial. And so the last two or three years, uh, I've been looking to, to begin working a little more on, on just informal coaching now, which is an extension of the kind of pastoral work that I've been doing, you know, for nearly three decades but a little more focused on younger men and their particular needs in helping them not only to become good men, but to help them to become good at being men. You know, because you can have good wimps in the church and Lord knows we've got enough of those. But if you can help a young man to become good at being a man and then help him to be a good man on top of that, you've done something substantial there. And so that's kind of where I've been focusing some of my attention. That's why I started my social media channels. Um, 
part of the, um, I'm going to drop names here for just a second, uh, mm -hmm. at the same conference where I met Will Spencer uh, and Jack Donovan and, and was working with Ryan Mickler, uh, I also met Bedros Kulian, uh, who's an entrepreneur out of Southern California, and he's been giving me a little coaching, uh, business coaching for how to set up you know, my online presence, uh, my social media, and eventually my coaching business. And um, he was the one who really encouraged me. He says, you need to do these things. You need to be on these media. You need to start posting like this. And if you do, you'll begin to build a following where you can offer and offer real substantive help, particularly to young men, to your target audience. You know, and uh, uh, it's the response has been very good. Um, Instagram has grown. It's hard to grow on Instagram. Uh, TikTok, God help me. He told me I needed to be on TikTok. Yeah, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't really like being on there, but I, <laughs> but I, I have twenty-seven thousand followers. You know, it's it's the only place where you can get organic growth these days, uh, and I seem to be doing some good. There's some resonance, you know, from men all around the world. I have this huge following in Nairobi of all places. I, I, I have no understanding for this, but apparently Kenyans love me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but there it is, you know, so so I just sort of dispense wisdom, sort of my byline is, you know, this is stuff that you should have learned from your dad or from your granddad, you know, and last year my eyebrows started going gray and I decided that's it. When the eyebrows go gray, I'm now an old man. I might as well just embrace it wholeheartedly and move fully into elder or grandfather role or whatever it is. But I've been playing that to the hilt and enjoying every minute of it and uh, i think i think i'm doing a little bit of good i think i am and i look forward then in in a few years when i can retire from full-time parish ministry that i will have laid a good foundation in men's work and coaching to where i can begin to move into that with a, a lot more intensity and do workshops retreats conferences more one-on-one -on -one coaching and that kind of stuff is really what i'd like to do uh, in, in, in the years to come. So I, that, that wasn't particularly short winded, but, but <laughs> you asked me to talk. So I talked. No, I, I, I you know, it's funny. I, I say every other guest on this podcast says my apologies for being long winded. And I always tell them I prefer it. Um, cause luckily we don't have the time constraints of the 24 hour news cycle where they need to say True. cheeky one liner or, um, some hysterical statement or something just positively bland and concise. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, uh, I certainly prefer that. Um, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, but you know, I think you said something uh, off, off the air about, you know, orthodoxy kind of being the Marines of, the, of Christianity, which I really liked. Um, but I think a question that needs to be answered um, is why orthodoxy and men's work and, and why why does one need both because some people would say well wouldn't you just go to go to church you know and and live out what it means to be a man through the bible and um just sort of settle into the patriarchal nature of orthodox christianity and you know the other day um so this this week which you'll like uh four friends of mine from church uh, I messaged them. We're in a little group chat, so shout out to those guys. Um, John, Jerry, George, and Mark. Uh, I said, so when are we going to get in the dungeon together? And they're like, really? It was like, yeah, let's do it during Lent. And so we found a gym in uh, West Chicago. 
mm-hmm. it's a proper uh, dungeon, has martial arts gear, you know, a bunch of squad racks. And we were working out every morning at five. And one of our mutual friends at church, he he saw me and says, yeah, you know, heard you guys are doing the, the workouts. And, and I was like, yeah. And I said, when are, you, when are you jumping in with us? He's like, oh, I don't need it, you know, doing doing the spiritual working out. And I was just mm-hmm. like, well, there's no reason you can't do both. So how do you how do you see the state of you know masculinity and Christianity? Why why do you think some people see those things as antithetical? Um, why do you think, especially in this era, that they both need to be harnessed and trained um, quite demonstratively? Um, very good question. Uh, I think you need to do both. I, it was sort of hidden in in something, or, or I, I implied it in something that I said earlier. Uh, the church does a fairly good job at making good men, but the emphasis is on good. And for a lot of people in their minds, I think they have a, a, a somewhat distorted or feminized or softened view of what virtue really means. You know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, that somehow, you know, kind of a, a, a little raw masculinity is somehow maybe a little too much or a little too strong and we have to tone that down you know if we're going to be good christian gentlemen and all and uh which maybe in in another age that might have been true but my experience and i really i i I genuinely like like your opinion on this as well i think for a lot of particularly younger men that are coming to the church today there is not a superabundance of masculinity that needs to be, you know, uh, tamped down or restrained or rechanneled. In fact, what we have is kind of a bit of a dearth or or an inadequate and inadequately developed sense of our own masculinity that leaves men at somewhat of a deficit. And the way that it manifests itself is very often uh, in an inability to to get what well, yeah an inability to get past like late adolescence and into early adulthood um uh, you know I've, I've i've used this line with a number of young men recently and uh, they, they all kind of say father do you have to hit so close to the bone and i say so 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 tell me you know 15 years of smoking weed and playing video games and jerking off to porn have not been the best preparation for life well yeah how about that (laughs) and they reach a certain point somewhere between about 25 and 32 where they realize no they need to start growing up and kind of get their lives together and they don't really know how and a little story i was up at a a men's conference in maine last october i was talking to another man there he owned his own business he had just hired a 25 year old um man to work in his business and they negotiated the salary he was a good fit he had all the training all the skills he needed for the job so he was given all of the kind of paperwork that goes with a new job you know the w-2 form the health insurance application the personal information for the hr department you know, all of that and the guy young guy came back the next day he had put his name on the forms and he had not filled out any of the rest of it and he came back to the boss and said i I don't know what to do with any of this. And then here's the line he said, I just started adulting a year ago. And I had never heard adult used as a verb before, but I knew immediately what that guy was talking about. And this is where a lot of young men are. They don't know how to adult. 
They don't know how to grow up. And a lot of the skills that they need are in fact traditionally masculine virtues and characteristics. Um, initiative, uh, self-control, emotional control, uh, personal strength, uh, integrity, um, all of those sorts of things that just have not been well developed. And so, yeah, you can say, you can say, oh yeah, we just, all you need is Christ and all you need is this church. Um, yeah, if you were, you know, like we were here in the first week of Great Lent, making, you know, 120, 150 prostrations every day, you know, at the Great Canon or in a monastery where you're keeping all of the services and doing all of that and keeping strict fast and all. Yeah, it'll probably help to develop your character pretty well. But for most of us living in the world, you know, not access to, you know, a full liturgical life and all, there are still a lot of character development or aspects of character development that we need to do that the church is not explicitly um, um, uh, training us in. And even more, uh, St. Saint Peter of Damascus, I think, volume two, volume three, volume three of the Philokalia, I think, uh, he talks about like the four classical virtues, you know, what we call the pagan virtues or the cardinal virtues of courage, moderation, prudence, and justice. And he says quite explicitly, these four are the foundation upon which all other virtues are built, including faith, hope, and love. So before we can even begin to talk about Christian faith, hope, and love, we need a foundation in courage, moderation, prudence, and justice. And so that's the level that I've begun to underscore. And I find a lot of young men need help with is developing those things. And first up and foremost is courage. Because a lot of guys know what they want. I mean, you know, we know, I, you know, I, I, I want to do this line of work. I want to have this in my life. You know, eventually get married. I want to work in IT. I want to get into business. I want to do this. I want to do that. They have trouble finding the initiative or actually setting out to do it. And it's very often it's a lack of courage. Uh, and so or this is somehow it's just not been encouraged uh, in school or in society. I'm not quite sure where, you know, where to, to point the finger or to lay the blame for that. Uh, but to help young men see that, no, this is where you need to step up. This is where you have to make take the first step yourself. This is where you need a plan and you need to begin to execute, even if you don't feel like it. And to step out and regain courage by racking up little wins every single day. You know, go back, but I like to say, you know, Uncle Jordan says to make your bed every day. You know, okay, well, it's it's not a big deal. You know, <laughs> Peterson and I are about the same age, so I call him Uncle Jordan. Um, but little wins every day. If you get your morning routine or your morning ritual, you know, you get up, you drink your 30 ounces of water, you, you know, you do your 10 minutes of prayer or meditation, you take your cold shower, you know, you make your bed, whatever it is that you do, but you rack up these little wins. And by doing so, you begin to develop self-confidence and courage. You know, you can face when you can when you can master the little things in your life. It's a whole lot easier than when something big comes up. You're more prepared to encounter it. So I've been doing a lot of work lately and trying to encourage particularly younger men who are in the church or who come to the church to develop their courage. And this is where I, I think there is material in classical antiquity that was taken up entirely by the Christian church and is all over 
in the fathers, meaning it is fully a part of our Orthodox and, you know, if you have Catholics in your audience, the whole patrimony of the early church that speaks to the importance of classical virtues as necessary underpinnings for life. And they are the kinds of things uh, that make for an authentic and a mature masculine man. And so simply to underscore aspects of our own tradition that maybe have not received as much publicity or, or as much attention. You know, I, in this, I don't believe I'm innovating at all. I'm just pointing out places in the tradition where this is where this is in fact the case. So I've been mining our own Orthodox tradition in ways that are helping young men grow up. And when they can become more mature men, then even their Christian faith becomes more mature as well. So I, that's, I think that's the answer to your question. I think it's necessary. And you do need both. Yeah. So yeah, go pump iron, go run, walk the dog. I mean, you know, do, do something physical, you know, as, as, as part of your daily discipline, you know, if, and, you know, even the monks are making prostrations. You know, when I was on, when I visited Mount Athos, what was that? 12, 13 years ago, I visited, I never saw a fat monk, you know, they all do enough physical labor and prostrations and all, and, and they, they keep their diet strictly and all to where, yeah, there's there's none of them out of shape over there. You know, it's a very healthy lifestyle. You can do that well and good, but take care of yourself so that your body serves your spirit. We are not exclusively spiritual beings. You know, we don't buy that Gnostic idea that, you know, we are persons trapped in some physical body. And if we just pay attention to the spiritual aspects of things, then that's all we need to take care of. No, we are psychosomatic realities. We are not fully human without our bodies. And our bodies need to be brought into discipline, like our feelings need to be brought into discipline, all under the, you know, the, the organizing principle of our minds, which you know, sit at the top, you know, that's oriented towards God. So when the entire human composite, you know, is, is correctly oriented and functioning optimally, we lead flourishing lives that are pleasing to God. That was a dissertation. That was incredible. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> truly, truly. You had, you had done so many things there, especially courage, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Orthodox Wisdom is one of the podcasts that's, you know, a, a key part of my podcast diet. And um, the not the latest one, but the one before that was um, uh, Elder Athanasios um, talking about Revelation 21.8, the cowardly shall suffer in the lake of fire. Ah, okay. Um, and, you know, one thing that was actually explained to me, um, surprisingly, when I was still evangelical, so this is uh, circa 2016, um, my, you know, college youth pastor, he actually had... Uh, he invited a bunch of the young men to get up at 4.30, meet at a Denny's at 5, and, you know, do work through some, some work about masculinity and the faith. They were asking a lot of the questions that a lot of men who haven't discovered orthodoxy but want to be Christian um, are constantly asking themselves, like, why, why do I feel the fact that I can't really be myself, um, you know, in the faith? And we were talking about how Christ is both the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah, and the Lamb of God seems to be mainly emphasized in, you know, the Protestant and evangelical traditions of the West, particularly in the United States. Yes. Um, courage, I mean, and as you said, we are not Gnostic beings. This is a, as far as this is a debate that's consistently found, um, you know, the philosophical realm of content creation, even the political realm, of sort of, you, you see this too with a bunch of the, um, the great philosophers throughout 
Mm -hmm. in the 18th, 19th century, the struggle for, for Europe's soul between the Aristotelian and the Platonic view of, of mm -hmm. life, right? Are we agnostic beings? It's like, no, we should be eating meat. We should be ruling over animals. That is part of the divine hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And that's that's present in Genesis. That's present in Adam, you know, naming the animals and ruling over the animals, so on and so mm -hmm. forth. So um, I think that's something that, and I think it's an easy pitfall to to be exposed to when you come, um, when you come to the faith. And when I was preparing for my baptism, maybe I, I pushed back a little too much. Um, like I was really trying to make sure that I was doing everything in alignment mm -hmm. uh, with the faith. And luckily I also found myself in a time where I needed to really heal my body. So I took time off of Muay Thai. I took time off of um, physical training uh, because I was so nutrient depleted after years mm -hmm. of deprivation and malnourishment. Um, and so I was able to really, really focus on that. Um, but you're right in the sense that we're not only men of prayer, we're men of action. Like, unless, unless we are, and it's funny, even if we were monastics, like you're saying in Mount Athos, there's no fat monks, right? Even these monks are in some way, shape or form, they're actually embodying, um, the ideal of green martyrdom, of martyrdom through labor, which... When I first came to Orthodoxy uh, six years ago now as an inquirer, um, you know, I was handed the, you know, Orthodox prayer book, Orthodox study Bible um, by Father Martin Person in Sunnyvale, California. Um, God bless you, Father Martin. Um, and, you know, the book by Memory Eternal, Calisto Square, uh, History of the Orthodox Church. And it talked about you know, green martyrdom, martyrdom through labor. And I said, you know, that's that's something that sounds like me. Right. Um, I, I pray during my physical training. Right. Mm -hmm. And we are physical beings. And if the men whose profession is is prayer, I mean, if they're, they're monastics, their their singular job is prayer. If they are still carrying this, you know, physical praxis too, there's no excuse for any man who is living in the world, um, who has things in the world for him. He must be physically ready. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, you know, I noticed when, and, and this is also bi-directional too, in terms of focus, but when I was in San Francisco, um, so a lot of my followers know, I, I went through somewhat of a prodigal son, you know, bit, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was a very devoted inquirer from 2017 till Pasco of 2018. Um, and I was in a very degenerate environment. I was... Mm -hmm. um, I was barbacking, bouncing, and bartending in the Bay Area bar scene. And anyone listening from the Bay Area knows it gets, it's a different, it's a different, I mean, I'm in Chicago now, it gets pretty degen here, but like, not like in the Bay Area, it, it's, it's different. And, yeah. you know, I was dodging, you know, people offered me drugs and one night stands and all these things. And, you know, mm -hmm. there was two things that they noticed about me. One, I was praying Two, instead of doing those things, I was going to the gym at 3.30 after work. Um, and so they, they saw this devotion. And so I went through, I was deceived off of the, off of the, the faith, um, in 2018, right after Pascha, like actually the night of Pascha, which is another story I'll tell later on another podcast. Um, but I came back to it and it came back to inquiry in December of 2021. So I, I, I pulled an all nighter <laughs> working at a bar in Oakland and I got on the BART and went across the Bay to see. St. John Maximovich for the first time. Oh, okay. Um, at yeah. Virgin Cathedral. And I came back to the faith and I started going to liturgy every single day. 
And I was in a Muay Thai gym six days a week. And my coach noticed me get sharper very quickly. He says, you're, you're more focused. You're sharper in training. And I said, you know, coach, he's, he's Cambodian. I didn't even know what orthodoxy was. I didn't even know what a catechumen was. I said, I'm going to liturgy every morning. So basically, I'm going to church every morning. And that sort of sets the tone for me because that's the highest on the hierarchy of life is faith, mm -hmm. right? And so this is this is something I've noticed that people struggle with. It's like, you know, they either they overemphasize to the faith to the point where they become Gnostics, like you're saying, mm -hmm. or they get too enamored with the world that they don't put the first thing first. And the first thing on the hierarchy is faith. Mm -hmm. And so when I prayed and, you know, made the commute to go to liturgy at eight in the morning, you know, from Oakland, didn't have a car. And then I showed up to the gym in central San Francisco. Um, I was exactly who I needed to be. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of great Orthodox creators. There's a particular monk, I forget his name, but he, he says to him, the purpose of prayer is to know who God is and to therefore know who he is then. Mm -hmm. um, because only God can know who you are. Who you are. are made in his image. Exactly, exactly. And it's, um, you, you hit the nail on the head and so many things. Um, now, kind of flipping to the other side, Right. You might. I've got plenty of guys who uh, listen to me who may be asking questions about faith. They came through my work, you know, through things that are more rooted in, you know, in just <laughs> raw intensity and martial mindsets and physical training. Mm -hmm. um, now, to, on the flip side, why would a man who's exhibiting all the masculine virtues, right, that you're mentioning before, but without faith, why, what is the argument for why that man needs faith in the first place? Um, I think, as you said, it is sort of the capstone and it is the highest uh, aspiration of the human heart. Uh, my favorite quotation from St. Augustine of Hippo, it comes from the very first paragraph of his confessions where he's talking to God. And he says, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And I think everyone experiences that longing, that that yearning, that knowledge that nothing on this earth is going to satisfy, that we need some transcendent goal or purpose or end to live for, or somehow life is, is shallow. We're made for eternity. We're not made just for this world. And ultimately, even there, I mean, uh, to go back again to, to classical virtues, you know, what is um, well, what is the perfection of the intellect or what is the mind for? The mind is to know truth. What is the perfection of the will? The will, the perfection of the will is to be fixated on the good. And if we're pursuing what is truthful and good and, you know, the other transcendent things, what is beautiful, what has is authentic being, what has unity, what gives life, I think it leads us pretty close to God, you know, and, and, uh, you know, even people who are not genuinely or explicitly religious, I think if they have, if they have, uh, uh, if they're honest with themselves, know again, there is something bigger than themselves that they need to be in touch with, whether they call it the universe, you know, or what, what was that weird term I came across the other day, Ganon, God known or not known or something like that. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I can't keep up with all the weird stuff that's out there now. But I, th I think there's something fundamental in us and that when we're honest with ourselves, we know, we know that there's something there that we need to be in relationship with. And I think even in the case of people who are um, vehemently uh, atheist, I don't think they're genuinely atheist. Um, I've, in my experience, I've never met someone who is a genuine atheist. 
I've met people who believe in God just enough to know they hate him and want to punish him by not believing in him for, you know, whatever perceived wrongs or injustices he's visited upon them. Um, you know, I don't know, that's sort of talking around it. But I, I, I don't think our lives are completely fulfilled until we have a transcend, something in relation to something transcendent. And for Christians, we call that God. I'm in full agreement. It's, yeah, that, that you, you sort of ascend this hierarchical, like you, you walk up these step stones. Yeah. And if you don't have God, there's no peak to it. You just sort of fall off and you descend into madness. If, if you refuse to acknowledge that peak is there, you just sort of jump off. Yeah, because that's that's ultimate. There is a uh, there is a, a pull. You know, it's it's Aristotle's final cause. This is what we're made for. So it draws us that way. But you're right, it is a ladder going up. And in fact, St. Maximus the Confessor is beautiful, beautiful on this. I was I was explaining this to someone the other day where he says, you know, uh, natural contemplation, you know, theoria physici in his Greek term, where we look at the world and try to see the world dispassionately. You know, don't look at the world through the lens of my lust or my desire or my greed or my avarice. But you know, I'm I'm looking out the window here at at, at trees in my neighbor's yard and Hey, what is the tree for? Is it shade? Is it, you know, it's a it's a privacy barrier between him and me? No, it, it's a tree. It has life, beauty, goodness, strength, integrity, you know, being, all these other things. But what is, something about the tree reveals God. And to be able to begin to see the world as it is rather than as I want it to be is a step towards understanding the truth of reality so that I can live a life that is consistent with reality and not distorted by my own passions. And Maximus even goes so far as to say that our investigation of the world needs to be epistemikos, needs to be scientific in the way that we look at the world so that we get to the truth of things. And when we get to the truth of the world, our mind ascends even further and we begin to see more universal or generalized truths and that ultimately will lead us to God. And you're right, that is the capstone and that's the ultimate goal for it. And if, if there isn't, God at the end of it, then you're right. Uh, what was it? Dostoevsky says, you know, if if there is no God, everything's possible or everything's permitted. No. And uh, we know where that goes. Yeah. We sure do. Straight, straight to communism. Um, <laughs> well, it, 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 at least, you know, <laughs> it, it leads to all of the latter-day followers of Nietzsche, you know, who all think that they're secretly uber-mention and when uh, from, from the zombie apocalypse, they're going to get all the hot girls and all the power. That's, that's where it kind of leads. You know, yeah, you, know, you know, God is dead, so I can do whatever I damn well please, and, you know, consequences be damned. And we see the, you know, by their fruits you shall know them, you know, and what, what are their lives like? I ain't never met one of them who has spelled stuff like that that was genuinely happy. No, no. It's, it's funny you mentioned Nietzsche because... Uh, for, for for two reasons. Um, I've actually been reading Beyond Good and Evil with my mother, funnily, funnily enough. Um, a, way of, a way of bonding with my parents while I'm not, um, while I can't see them, because I, I moved from away from Oakland, San Francisco. Uh, okay. Yeah, reading Nietzsche with your parents is a way of bonding. I don't think I have ever heard that line. <laughs> it's it's an interesting family. To say. I'll just leave that, that part where it is, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I left I left Oakland, San Francisco in January 2022. Um, now I'm in Chicago, so I'm pretty. I'm a hop, skip, and a jump away from you now. Yeah, yeah, only four hours. 
Yeah, and actually, I have family in Dearborn. It's probably you know high time we take a little trip over there. Yeah, ten miles, man. Yeah, come on over. We'll work out, or we'll meet somewhere in between. You know, yeah, that'd be a workout or something. That'd be sweet. That'd be awesome. Yeah, There's, but it's you know, it's funny that um you know we're reading reading the first the first part of Beyond Good Evil, right? Which is uh, titled what is it? Uh, on the prejudices of philosophy, right? So it's a good, it's a good 40 pages. And I was underlining a bunch of things that was so contrary. Like you can see he's he's not an atheist. It, it's not that he doesn't believe in anything uh, outside of himself, although he doesn't realize what he's believing in is himself. He thinks he's searching for this, this divinity within Europe itself, which is why he was like such good friends with Wagner. Um, mm -hmm. You see like, oh, we can now take a breath now that Europe has finally recovered from you know, the views of Plato, um, and now we can, you know, we, we can shun the Stoics, their imprisonment of the European nature, but we can also, sh you know, shun the naturalists and, you know, the, the sensualists, you know, because this is this is very plebeian in, in, in the sense that we can only know what we, we can touch. So he goes like, he, he basically rants at everybody. You can see he's starving for this transcendence, but for some reason wants just continually has like these these criticisms of Christianity that are, aren't very well formed in the first place. And you're right. Mm -hmm. um, these people will not, you know, th these, these neo-Nietzscheans will not uh, get the world they think that is coming for them. Um, but I was actually on a, a, a show called The Jay Burden Show. Um, and, you know, he kind of, I don't know how he did this. He's an excellent interviewer. Um, he, uh, he sort of cornered me on like my kind of beliefs and the, the term vitalism, right, that we get from, from Nietzsche, right? But it's really, he's coining something that exists. Vitalism as a Nietzschean root, as like an anti-Christian root, isn't really true. When we see the term like vitalism, I said, you know, if funnily enough, BAP recently said in a stream that I don't think that Christianity and vitalism are antithetical. And I, I when I heard that, I really agreed with it because... I remember when I came to orthodoxy as an inquirer, I had just quit my Silicon Valley job and was pursuing, you know, competitive fighting and therefore was working in bars at night and I was, took a significant pay cut. My life was not comfortable. And I noticed that, you know, I had this vitality in everything that I was doing it, in, in terms of, you know, physical training. If I didn't train effectively, I'd get knocked out in the ring. There's vitality in that. If I didn't work seven days a week, I'd be broke and I, you know, wouldn't be able to I'd make rent. That's I wouldn't be able to eat. There's vitality in that. And, you know, just upstream from that, I, I told myself, you know, if I don't pray, if I don't keep the sacraments, keep the commandments, I may not make it to heaven. Hmm. And it, it's, it's funny, even these arguments and, and you see these arguments rooted as masculinity like this. This right here is masculinity. Yeah. They sort of distort one aspect of masculinity. And say, well, we don't have this distorted kind of aspect of masculinity in Christianity. So therefore, Christianity isn't masculine. And those arguments just completely fall apart. That's that's well put. Thank you for saying that. That's oh. well put. I'd never heard it put quite like that. I like that. Well, I'm glad you think so. It's, it's, it's something I've been, you know, thinking about a lot in the past two years because, you know, in this corner of the Internet that I come from, you know, sort of have one foot in, you know, What's recently been called the sensible center was previously called the dissident, right? Um, and okay, <laughs> yeah, that's we'll, we'll leave that. Yeah, I know the ground is shifting under everybody. It's hard to know what to call oneself nowadays. 
Yeah, the arguments, you know, for those guys, it's like, well, we're not actually dissident, right? We're just, you know, sensible centrists from the year 1950. You know, it's that's really what it actually is. But or maybe in some would argue, you know, 1910, pick whatever year you'd like. Um, But it's, you know, having one foot in each of these sort of spheres, you know, I rub rub shoulders with a few, you know, sort of neo-pagan types. And I I tried Mm -hmm. And this is before I came back to the faith, and I tried giving them a fair shake. And you know, they're they're exhibiting you know Thor and Odin and whatnot, which are you know very yeah. cool reads mythologically. Yeah. But um, it's just it strikes me as incomplete and not not to be sort of rude or crass, but if the the pagans were so mighty, why did they lose all of Europe to Christianity? Yeah, and without a fight. Yeah, that's not yeah, really right. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I actually, when I was in, in Denmark two years ago for the European Men's Gathering, I was able to see uh, the yelling stone that uh, uh, King, uh, oh, good heavens, the Bluetooth, what was his first name? Harold, Harold Bluetooth. Yeah. Uh, set up when he said he, he, he converted the Danes to Christianity and united the country. And it took Christianity to unite the country. It's very curious. Uh, I think you're. I think you're onto something. I think you need to pursue that and and work that out even more. Uh, I know that there is a formal definition to vitalism. I don't know what it is, and I haven't read Nietzsche in God thirty five years, maybe. So I'm very rusty on on that too. But from the description that you've been saying, sort of this, you know, what you're describing, you know, as as sort of vitalist, strikes me as uh, intense. Mm-hmm. You know that sort of the, the masculine life is is rigorous. It's intense. Uh, it's high adrenaline. It's high energy. Um, you know, blood, sweat, tears, semen. You know, all of that kind of stuff. You know, just sort of in your face, extroverted, uh, very energetic. Which I understand why it has a lot of appeal to a lot of a lot of men. And again, at two years at the European Men's Gathering, yeah, I hung out with a lot of ne- uh, Norse neo pagans, you know, who would dance around the fire and you know and howl at Odin and Thor and you know and recite the you know in old Norse eddas. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what they're looking for. You know, they're looking for a kind of a really vital, energized, transcendent. Um, kind of divinized notion of masculinity, but they're projecting what they want, you know. Um, and I, I think I think you're right. I think there are there are aspects of it that maybe get uh, get tamped down too much in civilized society. So a lot of guys kind of chafe a little bit under sort of the the niceness of contemporary social life. And so we need something like a martial arts gym or you've got to pump some really heavy iron you know, or do something in order to let off the steam or to feel alive. I get that. I get that. But you're right. That is not the full essence of what it is to be masculine. Um, one of the circles I spend a lot of time uh, with is is Ryan Mickler's Iron Council and his Order of Man. Uh, full disclosure, I'm a battle team mentor uh, with them. And so I oversee a number of battle teams and their leaders and all. And, you know, I just help them out in, in, in what they need to do. Uh, and and the Iron Council tends a little towards the, let's get practical matters, you know, genuine self-improvement. Let's make a plan. Let's execute, execute, execute. Uh, you know, you got a problem. Okay. You know, it's not quite as bad as, oh, just rub dirt on the wound and, you know, what are you going to do to fix it? But they're very, very practical 
mind you, which a lot of guys need, and they need real hard accountability and pushing, and the Iron Council is excellent for that. And one of the things they were a little weak on, and I've noticed they've begun to balance out a little more, is that there is a, a heart aspect. You know, I mean, we, we can we can intellectualize and theorize and a lot of guys really get off on on reading and theory and Internet debate, you know, mm -hmm. and, and politics and religion and all of that. It, it all stays up here. And then we also get involved with our bodies physically. So we were exercising, we're taking care of ourselves physically and all. The last piece that, that sort of gets adequate attention, if it ever does, is our hearts. You know, and there is a real, excuse me, emotional depth to men. Um, I think that we're scared to death of, mm -hmm. you know, men are allowed to have only two feelings. We can be angry or we can be lusty. And then we get shamed whenever we're mad or, 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 or horny, you know, so we're not even really allowed that. Uh, and a lot of guys don't know what to do with their feelings and they feel out of control when they start feeling anything. And it, it can be kind of scary if you don't learn how to channel your feelings or how to how to sit with them, you know, without going crazy or allowing them to take over. And I think that's one of the the, the aspects of, of of masculinity that's that's you know there are some there are some in the men's self-development arena or who are doing men's work out there who are very good with the emotional side, but but not all of them are. And uh, I think from what you're describing is sort of this vitalist view. I think, yeah, go out, you know, uh, get your adrenaline going, push yourself, you know, until you're a ball of sweat and, you're, and you, you fall in exhaustion. I think it's a beautiful thing. But when you're done with that, go take your hot shower or your cold shower, you know, and then go sit and look at your heart or nourish your heart. Devotion and prayer, you know, if you're a Christian, sit quietly in meditation appreciate beauty you know you 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 write poetry you know there are men who sing you know all the great most of the great art has been produced by men you know so to appreciate good music to appreciate a good scotch yeah i don't care what it is you know there you know there's an aesthetic quality to life that men have always you know been in the forefront of and and for alas a lot of contemporary men they've lost they've lost touch with some of that and so I think there's, there's, you're right, sort of an entirely vitalist view of what masculinity is, is one-sided. Don't quash that, but let it find balance in, you know, in some other things. We, we need our head. You know, the poet needs to be able to be a warrior, but the warrior needs to be able to weep and to play the harp, you know, that sort of thing. So if we can find all of those pieces to ourselves and bring them into a little bit of balance or at least allow every one of those aspects of masculinity to have to have a place around the council fire if you will and to have a voice i think is is, is a very healthy path forward agreed across the board agreed across the board you know it's it's i had a i had a boxing coach i mean he was he was i think he was taught by custy amato so the guy who you know the famous coach of mike tyson right mm -hmm. uh, among others and, you know, I, I tracked this guy down. I had no money at this time, like zero. Money. I had negative money, but I still found a way to pay this guy. And um, I was, he was just like, well, we'll see how good you are. If not, you know, like, I'm not going to waste my time or yours. He's like, all right, cool. Uh, we met at a track and held pads for me. He's like, okay, you got it. I was like, great. And so, you know, you know what you don't have? And I was like, what? He's like, you got to want to hurt somebody. And I said, I mean, interesting. And, you know, th th that's the only coach I have. I mean, he's real old school, you know, Brooklyn, 
that's the only other, that's the only coach I've ever had tell me that. But he says you got to want to hurt somebody, you know. And he's like, I'm a Christian too, but like at the end of the day, you have to want to hurt somebody. And I just, with all Christian charity, of course, yes. <laughs> there was something in me that just didn't believe that, and I. I told him, I didn't tell him this, but I, I told a couple people in a bar in New York once, um, I said, I didn't really believe that because to me, to be a martial artist is to be equal parts, you know, soldier and artist. And if you're too much, okay. um, if you're too much artist, you'll be destroyed. But if you're too much soldier, you destroy yourself. And well put. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, yeah, I mean, and that's that's the way I, I mean, there's a reason why the samurai had the Bushido code. There was like they didn't have Christian faith, but they wanted to balance themselves. There's a reason, um, you know, why they were having you know, sand gardens and um, writing, you know, haikus and doing a number of other things. These practices mm -hmm. to balance out that martial tradition. Um, and that kind of that brings me to something that I'm sure you've, you've thought about once or twice is you know and the, what i titled this uh this episode is spiritual and physical readiness um and you know i was reading uh, nikolai gogol has a text on the divine liturgy just simply titled uh, meditation the divine liturgy and something that was bleeding through to me um was there's this there's just always sort of preparedness in orthodoxy that's sort of called upon you know, we may we not be able to fall on an idol, but watching an upright and activity ready to look. So you this readiness. And you see the same thing, you know, in describing the preparation of um, preparation for the divine liturgy. Um, how do you where, how does that sort of kind of develop that develop in your mind? Where you're like, what do you what do you view as sort of spiritual readiness and physical readiness? And are they one in the same, you know, are they on a gradient? Um, how, how should one go about, you know, being both spiritual, spiritually and physically ready? Um, when you talk about spiritual readiness, the word that comes to my mind isn't so much readiness as watchfulness. You know, the, 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 the full title of the philokalia, for example, is philokalia ton uh, pateroniptikon, the, the philokalia of the watchful fathers, the attentive fathers. Nepsis means attentiveness or watchfulness. And so it, it reminds me um, of riffing and sort of thinking out loud. I was not expecting this, this, this question at all. Uh, Elder Sophroni, not Elder Sophroni, excuse me, uh, Elder Zacharias mm -hmm. of Essex says very often in his books, he talks about uh, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And so that if we're going if, if we want to seek God, he says, we have to be ready to grasp the word wherever it comes or whenever it comes. And so the, he says, there is this, this attitude of watchfulness, of attentiveness, of readiness, so that you're always like listening. Where, where, where is it? How is it going to manifest? How is it going to show up? And to be able to grasp it as soon as it does. Because, you know, God may speak through Barlam's ass to you. You know, or the answer to a prayer might come in a television commercial. Someone will say exactly what it is you need to hear uh, at the time you need to hear it, and you need to be ready to receive it when it comes. And so there's always this attitude of being watchful of, you know, like, like the soldiers on the perimeter always watching for the approach of enemy or for trouble, always standing guard. What Christ says even in the gospel, you know, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. And even I found that in the early church, the practice of the monks keeping vigil all night long, they were waiting and watching for the second coming of Christ. 
that was the initial impetus for the all night vigil. And so this always be readiness and attentiveness, I think, is, is something we need to cultivate ourselves. And it's just kind of a spiritual sensitivity. Like, you know, I, I'll, I'll talk to the, I, I, I don't know quite what all your audience has made up, but the example that comes to my mind is when, when I first had children and had newborn babies in the house, we'd put, you know, Jeremy stayed in our bedroom, you know, in a little, in a little sleeper for several weeks until we put him in his own room. But even when he was in his own room, I could hear that baby sigh, you know, in the middle of the night. And beyond what even my wife could, I'd sit bolt upright in bed because I was attentive. I was always listening in case that infant child needed something. And I was there. And so there is a way that we can train ourselves to be attentive. I think perhaps maybe more relatable to you, when you're in the ring, you're getting ready to, to fight someone, you're, all of your senses are completely heightened. You know, and I remember when I was in the karate dojo, they taught us not to focus on what the guys here. You need this very broad, generalized attentiveness all around you so that you can be aware of not only his hands, but of his feet as well and anything else that your opponent might be ready to throw at you. And so we just have this kind of heightened sense of generalized awareness. I think we can do that. It can be trained. And spiritually, we call it watchfulness. And I think physically and uh, readiness and preparedness. Yeah, uh, situational awareness, um, uh, sort of discerning the signs of the times, you know, what Christ calls, you know, we all have different capabilities and sensibilities for, you know, where, where danger or trouble might come from and how severe it might actually be. Um, you know, I'm not looking for the imminent demise of the U.S. government or whatnot, so I don't feel a need to live in a compound in rural Idaho, you know, off the grid. But there are some people who do. Okay, I, I don't get it, but that's the way they are. So for our own situation and our own lives to see what do we need to be genuinely prepared for and are we prepared for that? We had ice storm here last week. Power got knocked out here at the house and at the church for 24 hours. You know, you prepared for something like that, if that's the kind of thing that happens, you know, in your neck of the woods. Uh, so genuinely just to be prepared. And I think this is fundamental to masculinity, you know, that we are prepared. We need to protect those who are in our care. Now, maybe that's only my, that's only yourself. You're still a single man. So you, you take care of yourself. If you happen to be married, you take care of your own. But even in your own case, you take care of your property. You take care of your, your possessions. You know, and, you know, uh, you know, you have friends whose back you have. So we take care of those people and we know whatever it is we need to do in order to be prepared to do that. Um, and so we're, we're generally ready and prepared to meet whatever, you know, threats might happen to be around us. I'm not saying be paranoid about it, but like I say, I know the power goes out here periodically. So, you know, I got a generator now. Okay, that's reasonable for someone in my situation. Um. Uh, Take the reasonable precautions that you are so that you can provide for yourself and for those, those who are in, in, in need around you um, and do that in as many ways as you can. You know, I, you know, if I don't really fear physical violence for myself or anyone else around me, but, you know, maybe you're in a situation where that might be a greater, a greater possibility and you might need to prepare for that in a way that I don't. Um, you know, for myself, getting a little older, I look towards retirement. Have I socked away enough? Have I saved enough? You know, what will I do 
when I don't have a regular income anymore. You know, that's that's an aspect of preparedness as well. So, I mean, you can venture wide over it, but I think just you know, just taking care of yourself and be a sober assessment of, of your life. And, and it's, again, a very fundamental masculine virtue that we protect and we provide for the people who are in our care. So to be cognizant of that and do whatever is reasonable in order to be able to do that, I think sets us up very well. I would agree. You get once again across the board. Um, Sweet, I'm batting a thousand today. Yeah, it's definitely batting a thousand. I, uh, it, there's this running joke. Um, I'm sure it's, there's a running joke I have, like through with Anti Fragile Fitness, um, my training company, and uh, so all the guys uh, in that, even even the women on the women's side of that, we have uh, three women, Anti Fragile Women. Um, but in general, on Instagram too, like I keep just shouting "war" in all caps, like "war,", war, yeah. war. and you know, someone asked me about that. He's like, "What's that about that?" And I said, "Well, everything is war," and I'm kind of tired of pretending. Yeah, that. yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's the war for your soul. There's the war in and for every man's soul. There is. The war to keep your family safe, to keep your children from ingesting ideas elsewhere that can be counter to their salvation and to their well-being. You know, there is the war on sloth. You know, there's a reason why, you know, every sing in most of the prayers it says slothful and sinful as I am. It's one of the seven deadly sins, but they single that out because it leads it so easily leads to other other kinds of sin. Mm -hmm. And so and at, at the same time, I've, I've mentioned this many times, and I've mentioned the fact that, um, you know, uh, I, I, I came to orthodoxy around the same time I started reading, um, you know, a lot of stuff by Jocko Willink and listening to his podcast. Mm -hmm. and yeah. I ripped off my format of uh, Jocko Willink's podcast for this one. But he, he, he said something really interesting, too. And I think this may, you know, help a lot of men, both faith-wise and, you know, just in general um, things in life, um, you know, life isn't really war so much as it is counterinsurgency in the sense that, you know, it would be, it would actually kind of be easy if it was war all the time. And there are certain instances where it's outright, you know, yeah. you're, you know, you're in the ring, you know, you're, you're pumping iron, you're in the four hour, uh, liturgy for Pascha, where it's mm -hmm. prostration after prostration, you're standing for a long time. You're trying to keep that spiritual focus right until they yell, well, you know, after the first hour, Christ is risen, but, you know, through to the very end, uh, before the feast comes. And, but most of the life that we live is sort of mundane, but we still, like you said, need to be aware. We need to be watchful. We need to be ready. And, because counterinsurgency, you know, out of nowhere, he's speaking, Jocko Willink was speaking about his experience in the Battle of Ramadi in particular. But, you know, out of nowhere, you know, there could be a bomb. Out of nowhere, there could be a sniper out of nowhere when it wasn't war at all. And I think that's what trips a lot of men up, and that's how we fall. And the other side of things, we, we get too anxious, like you were saying. Um, and it even says... It says in the Bible and in, in the gospel to not be anxious for that reason. And it's, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a long war that we have. Um, we need to be ready in every regard uh, to fight it. I know we're, we're coming up on time. So I want to 
ask you one last question that probably has a little bit of legs to it since uh, we got about you know you know eight to ten minutes left. Um, and it's about the state of uh, orthodoxy in America. You know, I've been in you know group chats that are a bit more political. You know, rubbing shoulders with mainly you know other Christians, you know, Catholics, mm -hmm. um, Protestants, and you know, when they hear, you know, Orthodox American, they say, you know, sometimes that, that sounds kind of weird, you know, you hear Orthodox, you think Greek or Russian or Serbian or Romanian. Um, and what I've noticed with Orthodoxy is that the essence of the culture never overrides the faith. Um, That's but, it. Yeah, but, but, the, but there's still, there's still this kind of culture you oh, know, yeah. under and how do you view the situation of orthodoxy in America? How do you view its its rapid growth? What the what that American culture is right under orthodoxy and how that's translating to this nation? All right. Uh, the way I've always thought about it is that just as Christ was the Logos incarnate as a particular man in a particular place at a particular time, orthodoxy comes to us also in incarnate forms as Greek, Russian, Serbian, Romanian, that sort of thing. So it does come with particular ethnic expressions to it. Um, I think that's only natural. It's part of what makes it very human. Uh, so, you know, my own parish is very, I, at least 50% converts at this point, um, but uh, comes out of a Russian tradition. And so we use Russian music. We tend to follow a more Russian typicon, you know, and that's fine. No one really has a problem with it. Um, but what I also find is that in the nearly 40 years that I've been Orthodox, there has been a slow Americanization of the church. I know there are some places that are still very ethnic. And here in greater Detroit area, you know, we, we have them. That's fine. There are congregations that, that do everything in Slavonic and are made up mostly of Eastern European immigrants. Here in my own town, we have a huge Antiochian basilica uh, that is processing refugees from the Middle East, you know, in huge numbers. They're doing yeoman's work, you know, with resettling people who have fled war and poverty and misery. And, all, and they do a lot in Arabic. Um, and it's a beautiful thing that they're able to do. I'm able to do most everything in English um, and to take care of more of a convert com uh, group. But what we find is that that over time, the church will become more Americanized. Um, I'll even go out on a limb here. I look forward to the day that we have our own set of American tones uh, for our music. I've heard some experiments along that line, and I think it would be a beautiful, a beautiful thing to have eventually. But but change and growth is all organic and it will be extremely slow and organic. Some of the, the, the attempts of people, oh, it's too ethnic. We need to make the church American. We need to throw out all of those 19th century Russian accretions to the liturgy uh, and stuff like that. Run away from those people, okay? That's innovative stuff and, and sort of that heavy handed or I have a degree in liturgical theology um, or, you know, I know the way that the, you know, somehow the, the purity of the liturgy, you know, is found in 14th century Byzantium or, you know, 7th century Constantinople or, or 19th century Russia. No, no, the perfection of the liturgy is found in what I celebrate in my congregation on, you know, every time I celebrate the divine liturgy. And it has been given to us. And I think we need to respect what has been given to us 
trust the Holy Spirit to be leading his church. Now, and so maybe we do need Russian icons and very high iconostases you know, in America right now, in a, in a culture which is so casual in its attitudes toward God that maybe we need some of these signs and symbols. And God really is transcendent and he is high and mighty and up there and exalted and all. And, you know, we're not quite as buddy-buddy with God as American culture, you know, might have us believe. And I think sometimes it provides a useful corrective. Uh, but any growth or Americanization of the church was going to be slow and very organic. And we might not see it, you know, except over decades. And I think that will be the safest way. But it will be so. And, you know, again, it's a matter of trusting trusting the Holy Spirit to guide the church, and I think we'll be fine. Yeah, that's certainly. I think, I think the, the anxiety of either side is typically rooted in, in thinking that this is going to be immediate, right? Nothing is immediate. Yeah. Very, very slow. You know, I mean, we saw sort of the rise in more, the restoration of pre-sanctified liturgy. Mm-hmm. The rise in more regular confession uh, and in more frequent communion. You know, that was like 30 or 40 years in development. And then the COVID lockdown, you know, wiped a bunch of that away. Yeah. You know, you know? So there it is. And, you know, in some congregations, I know they like to exchange the kiss of peace. Is that happening anywhere anymore now? Yeah. A year, 30 years of development on that, gone regular communion. I still have a few people who are scared of the chalice, don't want to come to communion. Mm-hmm. No, it's unfortunate, but there it is. You know, and growth is slow and organic. It was, what was it? Lord Acton, I think, said something along the lines that, you know, liberty is, you know, is is the delicate fruit of a long and slow process or something. I, I, I'm massacring the quotation, but that's it. People think that somehow liberty is just, you know, you get it just like that. No. It's a very slow process to get, and it's so easy. Destruction is so quick and easy to tear stuff down and to leave it in rubble, and, to, and it takes generations to rebuild stuff. And so this is why, you know, tradition, in its literal sense, means that it comes from Latin verb, meaning not only to hand on, but that which is handed on. It's why we need to receive the Orthodox faith as fully and as faithfully as we can, to hold it as the treasure that it is, and then to pass it on as fully and intact as we can to the next generation. That's part of our responsibility. You know, and if we will honor that, God will see to whatever adaptations or changes or modifications it needs to have. We just need to be faithful to it. If we take care of the faith, the faith will take care of us. Absolutely. We didn't have the Nicene created until 300 years in, so yeah. be a little patient about you know, the- A little patient. Of, uh, of the Orthodox American culture. Um, we are up on time, but where can people find you? Uh, people can find me um, on social media. Um, as I've already mentioned, I, I prefer Instagram. I am on TikTok. Uh, again, God help me. Uh, I, I'm also on YouTube and on Facebook, and I use the handle average to alpha. That is A-V-G numeral two, A-L-P-H-A, average to alpha. Um, I typically post something there daily on Instagram and on, on TikTok. The YouTube channel is a little behind, but more substantive, longer um, um, podcasts, videocasts uh, are there that 
it's largely based on the men's work that I'm doing, the issues that younger men are facing, uh, how to overcome them, foundation in the virtues, uh, and um, overall kind of adulting for younger men. So there'll be more stuff on there, you know, as, as the weeks go on. I've got a little more time now to begin producing some more content. Uh, but I appreciate you asking, and I, I appreciate, you know, comments and questions from uh, from serious and interested viewers. You know, I'm happy to engage as much as I'm able to. I appreciate very much, Arthur, you having me on here. This was really great conversation. I've enjoyed myself thoroughly. And I'm serious about maybe getting together for a workout, maybe somewhere in between Detroit and Chicago here in the, you know, in the foreseeable future. I think that would be really fun to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And uh, we'll have to do this again as well. You know, it's another time this year. You know, maybe post. Yeah, more than happy to. Like I said, I've really enjoyed myself. I, I enjoy your company and uh, I, I like the work that you're doing. So keep it up. We need more positive men's voices, especially positive Christian men's voices out there. Um, it, I, I know it has its effect um, and, and it is helping other men. And the degree that we can be helpful to our brothers it redounds to our own glory as well. So God bless you in what you're doing, man. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. And as always, folks, good night, good storms. God bless. Thank you.